everyone. My name is Andrew Warner, and I'm here with Origami. What we're doing with Origami is helping the most ambitious communities launch and grow their DAOs. And the reason that I'm doing this podcast is to help show what's working in DAOs, how they're doing it, and frankly, also what's not. And I've interviewed in the past other DAO creators. Joining me today is somebody who is a DAO contributor. This is the type of person that I think many of us, as we're in the DAO world, going to see be the aspirational community member, somebody who's in it, who's full-time, who's committed, who's not just dabbling. And I want to understand why he's doing it, what's working for him, and also what are some of the red flags and problems that he's seeing in DAOs. All right. So the guest that we're going to be talking with is Alejandro Arango Giraldo. He's also known as Chiron Online. And Chiron, good to have you here. Love to be here, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Give me a sense of where you are today. Like you're making a full-time living from being a DAO contributor? Yep. I've been doing this full-time since June 2021. And I'm currently at a crossroads trying to explore how media can fit into that whole pipeline. And do you see yourself doing this, being a DAO contributor a year from now, two, three, even five years from now? Oh, absolutely. Like the way I see it, I've been doing it for 10 years, essentially. Like ever since I started working full stop, I used to just jump in, help projects, help them set up a web page or set up a blog. In a way, being a full-time DAO contributor doesn't differ that much from what I used to do on Web2. When you say you've been doing this for 10 years, you mean freelancing for 10 years, looking mm -hmm. for roles where you could contribute, popping in and helping out as best you can, earning money, and then popping out whenever it's appropriate. Exactly. How much money can you make as a DAO contributor? What Roughly, where are you now? Well, of course it varies. Like there's, there's some droughts, there's some floods. And yeah, you learn to budget appropriately depending on time. But to give you a little ballpark, I've had months where I've been earning a full-time like tech salary around the 10K range. I've had months mm -hmm. where it barely scratches the $1,000 mark. But over time, you just learn to be prepared to anticipate those waves and those droughts. And yeah, have a little cushion to have a steady income and be able to make a living to afford your basic commodities. If I were going to ballpark it, fair to say... Somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000, give or take 20? Nowadays, yeah, I would put it around those times. Like at the beginning, I would put it way lower. What are some of the things that you've done in DAOs? What type of work? So I'm a content guy primarily. Like that's my area of expertise. So sometimes my contribution can be as basic as writing an article and then I'm done. Other times I can help build a marketing strategy for the next quarter. Or, for example, something that happened recently with a community I'm really, really fond of. I handled the communications of a single event on a three-week sprint. So I was there sending emails, sending tweets, talking with guests, all of that. Can you give me some of the DAOs that you've been a part of? I've been part of Radar DAO, of Jump DAO. I was one of the founding participants, not founding members, but participants of Developer DAO. I've okay. started uh, quite a few projects. You name it, Dal, I've probably at least been in their Discord and said hello. Okay. Why did you set off to do this? To put you in the brain of me during 2021. After the pandemic, I had helped a bunch of tiny businesses like survive, same business, 
hooked them up with whatever they needed to survive in the new age of like social distancing and digitalization and all. But I was really frustrated because the second the quarantines lifted, a bunch of these companies just backtracked. They were like, okay, we don't need this anymore. Goodbye. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, did I just waste two years of my life? So what I decided was, okay, I'm going to do something for myself for once, look for a challenge, look for where technology is evolving and it's thinking of new ways to be used and built upon. And that's when I stumbled upon Web3. I found a bunch of interesting projects. Something I really cared about and care about nowadays is using data properly. And I think the core underlying infrastructure of blockchain to me, is the perfect scenario. We just need to learn how to handle it and leverage it properly. One of the challenges I had going into a DAO was knowing how to get full access to the Discord at times. And then once I'm in there, I don't know who to ask and what to do next. Walk me through your first DAO experience. What was it like for you? I remember one of the first DAOs I joined was JumpDAO, which is a DAO for marketers trying to figure out what Web3 is. That one had the best onboarding I've ever had because I had a one-on-one call with the founder, Jeff Kaufman. And yeah, he essentially like, we just chatted as two marketers. He told me about his background. I told him about mine. He was way further along in his journey than I was. And after that, we had this special little connection that of course he has with every member that jumps in, but that way him as a leader could point me out and say, hey, we're thinking of doing content and we need your help. And I remember one of my first contributions was building a content calendar for Jump. And so they told you they needed help. You jumped in and said, I can do it. You built it. Do you, did you agree ahead of time about how much you were going to get paid for it? Oh, I didn't get paid for that one, but that wasn't quite the point. Like there are DAOs of DAOs. Like some of them should definitely find a way to compensate, but with this industry being at such an early stage, it is very common that when you're getting started, it, you will struggle to find for little contributions that pay. There's ways to negotiate. Like, they may not pay you straight out of the treasury, but they, you can find an agreement to find, I don't know, like a way to pay you down the line or to reward your contribution with some other type of compensation or just to build that portfolio item so that it opens up room for paid gigs down the This was you learning how to work with the DAO, building your reputation, starting off by giving before you ask. Mm -hmm. What about your first paid role in a DAO? The first time I actually earned income through Web3 was with Rabbit Hole, a company I still work with to this day. They were looking for what they called at the time pathfinders, which is people helping other people navigate Web3. They had literally like a submission form and you just had to share a portfolio and share what you would like to do. So I applied. Thankfully, I passed the test. And then I got hired to write articles, make NFTs for them. And at the beginning, startups operating within Web3, which are different from from DAOs, were Mm -hmm. the ones that helped me take that leap to dedicate full-time and eventually find roles within DAOs that compensated me properly. Rabbit Hole, if I understand it right, what they do is 
They have all these apps that people can use, and by using them, they earn crypto. And of course, the main goal is not to earn the crypto, but to earn the knowledge, to learn by using. Rabbit Hole is essentially a pathway into contribution. So they will make a partnership with ENS or Uniswap or like wider scale projects within this ecosystem. And they'll design a little journey for people to follow, like to achieve the most basic of tasks within them. So swapping a token in Uniswap, registering an ENS domain. And they will give you a little allocation like, yeah, uh, 10 ENS tokens or 15 Uni tokens as an incentive for you to experience this entire ecosystem and get to know the platforms that are really making it happen. All right, before we got started, you told me about some of the challenges in those early days. Let's get to those now. What was difficult about breaking into DAOs? The biggest one, and the one I've come to realize is the key to becoming a full-time contributor, is trust. Like, if you're just getting started, no one knows you, no one knows if they can trust you. And yeah, being in a space that's so rife with with scammers with ill-intentioned people with extractive people sometimes it takes a special kind of contribution or a special kind of impact to get your name out there to get people trusting you so that you can then enter into full-time contribution couldn't you just show them your linkedin profile say look i've worked for these companies if you want any introduction to them i'll give it to you that that's how it works nowadays like for example the rabbit hole name or the jump name or the c club name sometimes do make an impact i remember a couple months ago i was in in uh, defcon and hilariously i noticed that whenever i wore my my rabbit hole uh, sweater people would treat me differently they would approach me they would talk to me that kind of reputation leveraging the projects you've worked with in the past they make all the difference but once, when you get it started, you don't have those. You got to find a way to like take the little steps into contribution so that you can earn those stripes, so to speak. Once you did work for one DAO, how could you show another DAO that you had experience, that you had a reputation, that you were trustworthy and good? That's something I've been working on a lot this past semester. Like, I identify that like, okay, you need to have a reputation and to have a reputation, you need to be very active in sharing your contributions. And that starts with you. Like you got to celebrate every single win you have along the way. You got to share your ideas as publicly as you can. You got to make some noise. Like, How did you do that? <laughs> for example, something I do is whenever I have an, uh, an idea lurking in my mind, I'll try to tie projects together and see how they fit and how they build up the puzzle of that idea. And then I'll try to work with those projects just to say, hey, I was in the trenches. I worked with them exploring this thesis. For example, when Soulbound tokens were all the rage, I would intentionally go out and try to get a disco profile or try to get it like speaking with the people at Otter Space just so I could mention them and say, hey, I work with these people. I know how they do it and I understand the core concept and this is what I think. Add in that extra layer of, hey, here's my take on what these amazing people are doing. I've been looking into this, truthfully, and I saw that Dwork, for example, has badges that people can collect and show the work they've done. And I see a little bit on the edges, some other organizations coming up with things like that. Have you found any of that to be useful? I see where I could eventually get to, and we're definitely not there at the moment. 
Okay. But what you're describing is a mixture of DIDs, decentralized identity, I don't remember what the other D stands for, and mm -hmm. on-chain credentials. So I, I feel that is something big that's going to be unlocked in the future. But also something to bring, to bring up in, in that topic. I feel we should first be working on privacy. Because sure, this data is extremely useful. But what's stopping, say, the metas or the Twitters or the whatever malicious company you can think of from exploiting that data if it's publicly available with no filter for you to choose like, hey, I don't want to share that for you. Interesting. You see the need for people like you and for you specifically to be able to show all the work that you've done so that it's easier for you to get work at other DAOs. And yet you would have that need take a back seat to privacy. Absolutely. Because why? But you're, you're not a super <laughs> private person. I gave your full name. You're actually looking <laughs> for ways to champion the work that you've done and have people see it. That's absolutely true. But like, think of it this way. And the same applies to data. My personal data, Alejandro, and the work I do, that can be public. But once you universalize it and that becomes every possible DAO contributor or anyone who's ever held, held a token, that data holds a lot of power and it shouldn't be available openly. Like individually, yeah, it's okay. And you can choose to share it however you please. But once it's compounded or grouped or compiled in any way, that's when it becomes exploited. Got it. And so you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the bigger issue of having data be collected and available Excellent. to big companies. And it seems like that's partially what drew you to Web3 anyway. And so you don't want to give up the thing that drew you in just to make it more comfortable for you once you are in. Exactly. And that's not out of mistrust. That's mostly knowing the kind of power that holds. That, that information can sway elections. It can topple governments. The kind of world we're living in, all of the good and all of the bad come from the power of data. And I feel the biggest possibility that Web3 offers is giving the power of the data back to its users, the people producing it. Okay, let's talk about what's good about DAOs before we get into red flags. So for Absolutely. you, what have you seen that's worked? Let's learn from the best experiences you've had. As far as I see it, there's three main types of good DAOs, like the DAOs that really do build something of note. There is what's called a hyperstructure, which could be a DAO or it could not. That's, say, Uniswap or ENS. Like, they build a protocol, they have people working towards it, and they're the purest, in a sense, on the DAO sense. Like, yeah, they are immutable, they can't be censored. What they built really doesn't rely on anyone, and you helping it just maintains it or improves it. Like, Wikipedia could be considered a hyperstructure in a way. It, it can't be censored. Like, through many people editing and contributing to it, it is now a knowledge resource that can be toppled. The other one would be something similar to NounceDAO. Their goal is to proliferate a meme or an idea. So they don't care about the specific approaches. What they care is about awakening people's dreams and then letting them run wild with it and even offering funding for you to pursue your ideas under the core DAO mission. And the third type of DAO, which is like the most similar to a startup, being like the DAO in its purest sense, one extreme of the spectrum, and a startup being the other one. Not saying one is better than the other. 
Then there's the DAOs that have that mission. They want to control it and they want to guide it. They say, this is how we're going to achieve this dream. We're going to buy an NBA team or we're going to buy the constitution. But what I've seen those do correctly is build a network of aligned DAOs. So say, yeah, I'm going to buy an NBA team. And there's another one who wants to sponsor an MMA fighter. Finding ways to like, yeah, work together, share tokens, share data to compound those missions into something bigger than itself. For example, I could even consider Orange DAO to be one of those that I just, just described, like a network of projects that, is, that are constantly helping each other. Give me a little more concrete things that DAOs have done well. One example you gave me, and I've noticed now that there's some DAOs that do this. You gave me an example of a DAO that, that had a, a member contact you and talk to you and help you get situated and help you find your first project to work on. That seems like a huge win. What else are you seeing that's that concrete, that doable, and would help other DAOs? For example, another one, Radar DAO. Their entire goal is to identify a trend to pursue into a future. That's what they call it. So the way they went about doing it was really interesting because any other project would have outsourced it, would have done it like offhandedly in a way. Radar, they decided to make an entire event out of just the research to identify that trend. They built a, a, a cycle called the super curation cycle. They chose, I think it was nine or 10 people from the, the Discord. You had to nominate yourself, that you had to be elected. And then they told you, okay, spot like links and messages and news and try to tie them together into a narrative. And then we had three weekly events trying to narrow those down, filter those down into a single future that we wanted to pursue. And that's what guided the entire, the rest of the year for Radar. Having that intentionality, making an entire event out of it, celebrating it and giving all of that credit, giving all of that responsibility, making us feel involved and really showing the results of our research and our actions. Yeah, that's something that I feel lesser DAOs would have done horribly. Yeah, I can see the challenge in doing it right and I can see the upside of it. Coming back to the, the topic of like how to compensate your contributors when you don't have a treasury to do so. Something I've seen a few projects do is they will launch a publication arm with platforms like Mirror, like Lens, like whatever Web3 publishing platform you like. And what they'll do is they'll leverage their audience, their 10,000 followers, their 20,000 followers, to help the individual contributor gain a following, gain funds through collections, make an entire amount of noise, do Twitter spaces to showcase them particularly. Because they could pretty easily just ghost, have them ghostwrite an article, publish it under their own name, but... If you give the contributor the credit for all of that amazing work, you are getting the best of both worlds. You are having amazing content and media to showcase your project or your DAO or your mission, while at the same time having the monetary and reputation benefits that such a huge platform can offer for the individual. You're saying, look, if they don't have enough money essentially to pay the member, then at least what they could do is pay the member by growing their reputation, by showing what they've contributed, by helping them build their own following. And that's a huge win. And I could see, frankly, the combination of the two of them, both getting paid and making sure that they get recognition as the ultimate win. 
Exactly. And there's a big difference between this we're talking about and just paying an exposure, quote unquote. Because when you're paying exposure, that's basically worthless. But having Web3 platforms be the medium for that, what it allows for is that if people collect that article or they share it around, it opens up different ways for your contributor to monetize. Like, for example, I've had articles published in a certain project's publication and it'll get like, yeah, 0.3, 0.5 Ethereum on collections. And that's for me, that's that's my compensation. Oh, I see. It's not just getting paid in exposure. It's also getting paid by having it be published under your name with your payment process. Exactly. Okay. All right. This is golden. Let's talk now about the other side. What are some of the red flags that you've seen? So this is the biggest one and the one I've noticed the most in a lot of projects. Okay. I could call it being tyrant leaders or being way too dogmatic in the way you want to approach your projects. Like the question I usually ask to anyone who's trying to get me involved in their project is, why must it be a DAO? Because I get it. It's a cool buzzword. Everyone wants to build a DAO nowadays. But say you're looking to source from your community, you're looking to gather up ideas, and you'll have tens of people sharing ideas, sharing thoughts, sharing opinions, exploring different paths you could take. And at the end of the day, you just end up taking what the founder says. Why are you doing it the hell then? Like, if you're not going to be receiving other people's input and you're just going to do what the quote-unquote CEO does, yeah, that, then there's no point in you being a DAO. We've talked about that here at Origami, fake DAOs, people who are for one reason or another looking to create DAOs, but what they really want is full ultimate control. I guess in some places in the rest of the world it works, right? Like Mark Zuckerberg has full ultimate control of Facebook and he still gets to have all the upsides of a publicly traded company. But you're saying like it doesn't work in the DAO world. Actually, why is that a red flag? As a member, what do you care? You're contributing, you're popping in and out. And and that's the thing. Like I really, I don't care if it happens, but if you're going to set out to be decentralized, then be decentralized. Like if you want to have absolute control, you could always start a startup. What I have against that kind of people is they are not doing a DAO for the sake of building a DAO. They're doing it to source free labor. And that's a big problem. Like, yeah, you shouldn't toy with people's time like that. And the reason it's free labor is you're getting tokens that are essentially worthless. And you're saying we can see through that. Exactly. Like, ah, okay. I've actually, I'm not calling them out, but I've seen organizations like that. They're not giving tokens. Sometimes they are paying but they're paying a lot less than they would otherwise because, hey, it's a DAO, you're part of this community. Okay, and you're saying, I don't want to be a part of that. Is it also, like, if you were getting paid enough, would you care if it was a real DAO or not? Well, I wouldn't call it a DAO. I would just call it, like, a maybe a Web3 project, maybe right. a startup. Like, yeah, there's you no you just consider to... it the way you'd consider any other job. Exactly, exactly. God. Like, yeah, I, I have nothing against wanting to have control. That's, that's very feasible. That's a way to approach a business. But why are you calling it a DAO? The other one, and this, this one goes to the absolute opposite end of the spectrum. I've seen a lot of analysis paralysis, like a lot of projects that set out to change the world, do amazing things. They have a ton of ways and that they have a plan to do it. And they never do anything. They never ship. They're afraid of clicking that button, signing that transaction. It's one that's a lot trickier to, to really address because... Yeah, it takes courage to launch a project. Of course it does. 
But uh, I've been in so many calls and so many Discord chats and so many, yeah, Twitter conversations. But let's start this project. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to do it with this protocol. And we're going to get funding from this people. And it never comes to anything. It's one thing to open up the conversation about it and have all of these cool ideas. But unless you're actually shipping something, you're not doing anything. So one of the biggest benefits that Web3 has is composability. You could grab data or grab an application layer, grab a smart contract from projects that already exist or find a way to start shipping. Like it could be a Twitter spaces. It could be a newsletter. It could be any kind of thing that you feel pushes that mission and takes those little steps. Because once you get the ball rolling, it becomes a lot easier. But I've seen so many projects die at the ideation stage that they never do anything. Mm, got it. Okay. They have the courage to start, but not the, the stick-to-itiveness to see it through, or even, frankly, to take the first public step. And as a result, I could imagine as a DAO contributor, you're being strung along. You don't want to be a part of something like that. Another one that I feel like ties together with the tyrant leaders one, the bullshit jobs, like the jobs that only exist to give someone a job. Because, yeah, the A in DAO stands for autonomous. We should be finding ways to optimize labor flow. I feel there's a lot of jobs being done in DAOs that could be automated very easily or even like not even done. Like they're not necessarily to the core functions. And just for the sake of giving someone a job and you'll see a lot mm. of projects just keeping them, paying them whatever honorary amount just to keep them along. I feel that's mm-hmm. a disrespect to people's time. Like, instead of doing that and out of, of selfishness in a way, just reeling them along, why not help them find the next challenging job they may be excellent at? But what if there aren't enough jobs? What if there aren't enough tasks at the DAO and they just want to keep people involved enough so that the community keeps growing? Because if a community is nothing but people chatting, it's a waste of time. And if it's a bunch of people waiting around for work, It's like the day laborers at the gas station um, in San Francisco. It's just people waiting. Giving them a little bit of work, doesn't that warm them up for when they're ready for the real thing? Doesn't that keep them involved? Doesn't that keep the infrastructure learning how to interact and pay people? What's wrong with that? My counter take there is, okay, why not help them spring out their own project like a sub-DAO in a way? Like, hey, we don't have the bandwidth to do this big project for now. But how about we launch an editorial arm or we launch a partnerships arm and we find a way to make some podcast appearances? Like, I feel it's down to laziness mm. that you're not challenging them. Because Web3 is polyamorous. Like, they don't have to be working in function of your project all of the time. You could find ways to leverage their energies and their creativity and still real gaining those benefits. Like, just keeping them doing the bare minimum for the sake of it is a waste of their energy. Where I think they're warming them up for a good role when it comes along, you're pointing out you're they're burning them out for something insignificant. And if they weren't, I don't know that I want to call it lazy, but if they weren't uh, doing that, what they could do is put some energy into finding some real tasks. Even if the tasks don't actually succeed, find some tasks that have some value and make the person feel feel the role is worthy of their time. Exactly. All right, how about one last one? DAO popularity contest. Like, say there's a governance decision or you're going to be electing uh, someone to do a high trust action and you put it to vote with the community. Something I've found that happens in 
many projects, even very reputable projects, is that the most popular people will win. And you even know the results of that election before it even happens. You know, we've been thinking internally about that issue. It seems that one way to solve that, and you tell me what you think, is to have the fact that you voted be public, but who you voted for be private, kind of like elections in most countries. Would that stop that? It could be part of the solution. To give you a, like a particular example of how it dealt with it, to add another layer to that solution, I remember being in a coordinate allocation group like for the season, like, hey, who helped the most this season and whatever. And mm -hmm. I hadn't moved a finger. I had already moved on to other projects, but I was still in that Discord. They put me in that circle and I still got allocated tokens just because people recognized my name. Okay. And that broke my heart. Like I, it was a whole hassle to like give them back and I, I refunded the entire thing and I felt really guilty. And I even cut ties with that project for a little while, like six months, just to let it like cool down so that I, that kind of stuff wouldn't happen again. But the lesson I learned was the next time I'm in a coordinate, coordinate circle, I'm going to start by giving everyone an equal amount and then I'll tweak it and add like, okay, this person put in a little bit more effort. I'll give them five tokens more. And yeah, this person wasn't really in the calls. Okay, I'll give them two tokens less. Starting with the base layer of being equitable and then adjusting that base layer based on what you have perceived is the solution that I found to be more fair with that kind of popularity contest. What do you think new members could do to start participating in DAOs better? What advice do you have for them? This is one that I've been trying to evangelize as much as possible. Make your contributions go further. Like, okay, it's one thing to build, I don't know, a seasonal allocation of the treasury, but make a template or share your thought process as, a, as an article. Or, yeah, just straight up make noise on social media. Make sure other people besides the DAO notice what you've done. Because a good job is only a good job if other people notice it. And yeah, it sounds, it sounds kind of sad that it has to be that way. But it's effective. Once you become one of those recognizable names, you get a lot more opportunities and you'll be able to have a much bigger impact. But at the same time, and this is more of a piece of advice like coming from, from the heart than it is like actual work advice. Now your responsibility becomes, okay, if I'm in a position of power, how can I distribute that to the people who are just getting started? How can I make sure those popularity contests don't happen to me? Recognize that right now the world is a popularity contest and people will not give you work and will not seek you out unless they know you and it's your job to make sure you're known. But then once we have power, you're saying, Look for those people who aren't blowing their own horns and make sure that they get the work that they can handle and that they could do well. Exactly. All right. I think I've got it. Where's a good place for people to see you if they want to follow up and keep reading your material? So the best place would be my mirror publication. Like that's where I usually post the stuff I thought about for months on end. That's my best place to be. Yeah, it seems like that. That that's where you put in the most thoughtful, spend time uh, articles. Um, Okay, it's chiron.mirror.xyz. Exactly. Right on. Thanks. And thanks, everyone. If there's anyone that you think that I should be interviewing, if there's anyone you think that we should be paying more attention to, or if you just want to say hi, my name is Andrew, and well, here's my email address, andrew at joinorigami.com. Bye, everyone.